from deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm not even sure, ladies and gentlemen, that it's safe to be on your audio device of choice right now. Unless you have a, a random randomizer, a choice randomizer, so that nobody really can tell at any given moment what your audio device of choice is. What uh, accounts for this mood? Look around, read the papers, watch the thing. Uh, what to believe is becoming something very valuable because of its scarcity. We are uh, in an age, in a moment of an age, where there's a battle going on in front of our eyes and ears between a public figure who doesn't really care, apparently, if his public statements bear substantial relationship to verifiable facts or not. It's a, a, a way of speaking which is profoundly transactional. He says what he has to say to get what he wants, and then he moves on. I didn't say that afterwards. On one side, and on the other, people whose business it is to deceive for uh, sometimes very good and and defensible purposes but that's their job that's what they're that's their training they would have to be kind of go through what the uh, dogs in the canine corps go through in the army when they're released that kind of detraining to be utterly verifiable uh, utterly credible because they've been trained to deceive you see and now they're battling these two forces uh, for our cre- for our credulity and unnamed sources are vouching for uh, other unnamed sources or now unnamed source uh, the only person that uh, Mr. Steele, the former MI6 spy, now uh, most recently working for as opposition research for both the Democrats and the Republicans, that's fair. The only person he reached out to in, and actually talked to, he didn't just reach, he talked. Does that whole reach out thing in our language come from an old AT&T commercial, by the way? Reach out and touch someone. Just occurred to me. Forget it. Uh, the only person he reached out to and talked to was last October a friend of mine, as it turns out, who works for a news and opinion magazine, Mother Jones, which at the time was vociferously pro-Clinton in the election campaign. And he confided in that reporter how frustrated he was that his dossier wasn't being paid the proper amount of attention. And so now we have, as I say, uh, unnamed sources vouching for him. Ex-CIA people all over the Internet analyzing the dossier with varying degrees of belief in it, varying degrees of critique of it. And we have on the other side the guy that just says what he feels like saying at the moment. Anybody in this environment, ladies and gentlemen, I, I suggest anybody who actually 
has a firm grasp on a belief of what's really at the bottom of this, aside from it's really good for comedy, is uh, thinking with their voting machine and not with their head. Hello, welcome to the show.
from Southern California, from the home of the homeless. As a matter of fact, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a brand new feature on the broadcast dictated by what's going on. News of smart houses, because that's what that's what they're moving us all into, apparently, or we're choosing to. If we should be so smart, Daylight San Diego, the Amazon ecosystem. I said the ecosystem. I said the ecosystem, which does everything from getting your weather report to ordering more laundry detergent, can also do some things you don't want it to do. Alexa, the voice service that powers Echo, is just a voice command away for answering questions or getting extra help around the house. The device is convenient. It's also raising concerns over security and privacy. These devices don't recognize your specific voice. And so then we have the situations where you have a guest staying or you have a child who is talking and accidentally orders something because the device isn't aware that it's a child rather than a parent. That's according to a senior security researcher for ESET North America. That's exactly what happened this week during San Diego Channel 6 in the morning. The anchors were talking about a child who accidentally bought a dollhouse and four pounds of cookies. I love the little girl saying, Alexa ordered me a dollhouse, said the male anchor, Jim Patton. As soon as he said that, viewers all over San Diego started complaining that their Echo devices, I said their Echo devices, had started to try to order dollhouses. It's a common problem. Well, that's good. Experts say it can be avoided. All of these devices which record the Internet of Things will have some sort of website control, some sort of setting. Sometimes the setting is on the device. So you need to go into these settings and look at what they are and what you can change. That's according to Stephen Cobb, that senior security researcher. He says the FTC is already looking into voice command devices and toys to make sure that technology is safe and secure. Never too late, department. For now, he recommends you do your research to keep your personal information controlled and protected. Quote, down the road, the technology will be more sophisticated, where it will be able to identify certain individuals and register people who can access it. Yeah, that makes me feel secure. Amazon says shopping settings can be managed via the Alexa app. Why not use the thing that's screwing up to fix its, including turning off voice purchasing and creating a confirmation code before any order? It also says any accidental physical orders can be returned for free, suggesting that if you order something downloadable via your five-year-old child, you're stuck with it. Now that is a smart house. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes there's a war on drugs, sometimes there isn't. Prescription drug distributor H.D. Smith Wholesale Drug Company has agreed to pay $3.5 million to settle a four-year-old lawsuit that alleges the company failed to report suspicious orders from West Virginia pharmacies. This is from the Charleston Gazette-Mail. That's the largest settlement to date in a 2012 lawsuit filed by the then Attorney General of the state, against more than a dozen drug distributors that shipped massive quantities of painkillers to West Virginia. 
Settlement money will go to substance abuse prevention and treatment programs. H.D. Smith denied any wrongdoing. The company did agree to comply with state law and report suspicious drug orders, usually high quantity and frequency. Between 2007 and 2012, Smith shipped 13.7 million hydrocodone pills, 4.4 million oxycodone tablets to West Virginia, according to the DEA. It was only the eighth largest distributor of those painkillers during the six-year period. The state had settled lawsuits also against Cardinal Health and Amerisource Bergen, two of the largest drug wholesalers in West Virginia. That settlement amount will be announced. Previous settlements with nine smaller wholesalers have netted West Virginia more than $7.5 million. Last month, the Charleston Gazette Mail reported that drug wholesalers did not report suspicious orders of controlled drugs to the West Virginia Board of Pharmacy for more than a decade, despite a state rule requiring them to do so. The State Pharmacy Board also neglected to enforce the reporting requirement. The newspaper's Painkillers Profiteers series also found that drug wholesalers shipped 780 million hydrocodone and oxycodone pills to the state in just six years. That's when almost 1,800 West Virginians fatally overdosed on those two painkillers. Southern West Virginia received a disproportionate number of pain pills. The region has the highest drug overdose death rate in the nation. But we're not running a war on drugs against them. You've got got to choose the right drugs. That's what you got to do. The authorities and our freedom-loving friend Saudi Arabia have arrested two human rights activists so far this year. Officials have not disclosed the reasons for the detentions, but Human Rights Watch said they fit a pattern of ongoing repression against peaceful advocates and dissidents. At least 25 of them have been convicted since 2011. Many have been handed sentences as long as 10 or 15 years after being found guilty of charges like, quote, breaking allegiance with the ruler, sowing discord, inciting public opinion, and setting up an unlicensed organization. They are our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Well, now it gets good. Almost five months after the Rio de Janeiro Olympics ended, another venue is struggling to find a use. It's called Legacy. Rio de Janeiro City Hall said this week the Deodoro Olympic Park, which was to be used as a park and recreation area after the Games, has been closed. Deodoro was the second largest venue cluster during the Olympics, and it's located in Rio's impoverished north, far from Copacabana and Ipanema. Its events included equestrian, rugby, and field hockey. Measures are being taken to ensure the space is reopened as soon as possible, the city said to the Associated Press. It did not say when that might be. It said a contract had been terminated at the end of the year with a company that was operating the park. 
The park's main attraction is a public swimming area, which is now unavailable at a time when temperatures in the city soar daily to about 95 degrees. You wouldn't want to swim then, would you? In another setback, Rio last month handed over responsibility to the federal government of Brazil for sports venues in the main Olympic Park. The reason? A bid to auction them off failed. Officials said only one bidder participated and failed to provide required assurances for a 25-year concession. No, it was the Trump Organization. No, it was not. Brazil's sports minister, Leonardo Picciani, said at the time the federal government would operate the two arenas, the velodrome and the tennis stadium. A $20 million golf course built for the Olympics is also struggling to find players and funds to take care of upkeep. I.e., what, mowing the lawn? Feeding the flamingos? The state of Rio de Janeiro has declared a financial calamity, their words, and is several months behind in paying teachers and public employees. The country itself is in the deepest recession in decades with unemployment at 12%. I bet they're really glad they spent billions on the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Now it's time to talk about the bats and the bees. You've been told about them, right? You know about neonicotinoids, the class of insecticides that is being blamed by many scientists for the decrease in honeybee and bumblebee and wild bee populations. In the the wake of that debate by experts, one one neonicotinoid pesticide, imadacloprid, has proven to be a threat to the survival of bats in Taiwan. Last year, it was confirmed as harmful to bees by the EPA. A research team headed by Wu Chengxin, professor of life sciences at National Taiwan Normal University, not the unusual university, found that bats feeding on imidacloprid-tainted insects were unable to fly along paths that they had learned. They often got lost as a result while out hunting. At least that's what they told their wives. While Formosan leaf-nosed bats were the experimental subject, the team found that bats treated with a low dose of this particular insecticide developed neural apoptosis, a process of programmed cell death in the brain. That can't hurt you. The sonogram of ultrasounds emitted by such bats becomes incomplete, said Wu, Discussing Dr. Wu discussing research published in Neuro Report, a peer-reviewed scientific journal. He said his team monitored the sonogram with a custom-made flight tracking device and filmed the track of light emitted from an LED bulb attached to the bats. The data collected indicated that after long-term exposure to the insecticide, the flight patterns of the bats differed from the paths they originally learned. What were regular flight paths became disoriented, he said. Some even lost their ability to catch insects. Let him eat the steak, cake, something. The team found that the toxicity of imidacloprid and high doses of the heavy metal manganese accumulated in the bodies of bats if they fed on insects that were tainted with the pesticide. When toxic substances accumulate to a certain level, they damage the bats' neurons and destroy their echolocation system. Where'd those bats go? 
Baths serve as a bioindex, allowing humans to determine which toxic substances are poisoning the living environment, Wu said. He expressed the hope that research will alert people to the danger of environmental pollution. Well, that's going to happen. And the best defense, ladies and gentlemen, is apparently no defense. The United States' $36 billion system of ground-based interceptors, a missile defense system, can't yet be counted on to shoot down a nuclear-armed missile aimed at the West Coast by North Korea or Iran. Says who? Pentagon's weapon testing system. The network of radar and, com- radar and communications combined with missiles based in California and Alaska has demonstrated only a, quote, limited capability to defend the U.S. homeland from small numbers of simple ICBMs, according to the testing office. In its latest annual report, despite international sanctions, North Korea, as you know, has continued to test bombs and missiles. The probability the U.S. would succeed in intercepting an incoming missile cannot be quantified with any precision, quote, due to a lack of ground tests supported by verified modeling and simulation, according to the assessment. This is the same as the situation in its 2016 report because too few new results were generated to warrant a change. The Office of the Reliability and Availability of the Operational Interceptors is also low, as the Missile Defense Agency continues to discover new flaws and, quote, failure modes during testing. The director of the Missile Defense Agency said in an interview, in response, he retains high confidence in the system, because if he doesn't, he's out of a job. The best defense, ladies and gentlemen. Apparently no defense. And now, news from outside the bubble. France's love-hate relationship with opinion polls is in the spotlight. A newspaper has announced it will stop commissioning polls in the run-up to the French presidential election. Instead, it will do more on-the-ground reporting to determine the public mood. This is according to The Guardian. The unprecedented decision by the daily Le Parisien came after months of discussion in the paper's newsroom. This follows Britain's vote to leave the European Union and Donald Trump's election in the States, both of which caught pollsters by surprise. Quote, rather than just talking about what some see as errors in the polls, we've decided to go back to the core of our profession, going out in the field, proximity to people, said Stéphane Arbouy, editor of Le Parisien, with its sister paper, Aujourd'hui en France, was historically among the biggest media users of political polls. The polls often dominated the front pages. I'm not attacking polls, Aubuy added. They don't do their job badly. They give a snapshot. The problem is the way the media uses them, unquote. He said he wanted his newspaper to stop obsessing about the horse race and do more in-depth reporting on the public mood and policy platforms. (laughs) But it's just France. Not commissioning polls will save the paper tens of thousands of euros, he said. And he said that Le Parisien was still free to comment on other media polls. France has one of the highest rates of political opinion polling in the world. Must be the wine. In the year leading up to its presidential election, there are typically hundreds of major national polls, about one a day dominating headlines. Even before the recent debate on media over-reliance on polling, French commentators were questioning their nation's and their media's addiction 
Some French politicians have begun to publicly turn against the polling culture. Quote, welcome to the unpollable, quipped one of the presidential candidates in his New Year's address to the press. He said, more information could be learned from listening to the, quote, silent, feverish France, unquote, struggling on the periphery. But it's just France. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast, which just reminds us, just reminds me at least, polling, ladies and gentlemen, polling and journalism are structurally incompatible. Polling assumes that people tell the truth. Journalism assumes they don't. From the home of the homeless, this is the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. 
new Department of Transportation Inspector General report outlines deficiencies in the FAA's ability, that's the Federal Aviation Administration's ability, to adequately prepare for and respond to major disruptions to the air traffic system. The IG pointed to shortcomings in the agency's contingency planning, controller training, technology, and system redundancy and resiliency. The hygiene was good. The report also highlights the related impacts of ongoing delays and uncertainty in the FAA's next-gen air traffic control modernization effort. The IG's audit was undertaken in part to review the FAA's efforts in preparing for incidents that caused significant disruptions to the national airspace system. If you fly, you probably didn't realize it was a system, such as a fire at the Chicago Air Route Traffic Control Center a couple of years ago, and the flooding of a radar room at the Austin, Texas, Tracon in 2015. But, you know, it's all good. Now, what the frack? A bill is passed, a subcommittee. That's nothing. That ain't nothing. In the Virginia House of Delegates, that's in Virginia, that's something that would exempt certain chemicals used in fracking from disclosure in response to a public records request or a Freedom of Information Act request. Supporters say it's necessary to protect the oil and gas industry and its closely held trade secrets. Opponents say the bill could hinder first responders in an emergency and keep landowners landowners in the dark about pollutants that might be affecting their groundwater. What if they're both right? Fracking, as you know, involves pumping water sand, and chemicals underground to split open rock formations and allow oil and gas to flow. The measure passed the Natural Resources Subcommittee in the Virginia House of Delegates on a 4-3 to three vote. A squeaker. you got to keep those chemicals private because who who knows what they're injecting down there? And, you know, the people who really care are the competition. Are they doing so with a with a sodium or a, 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 a chloro thing? And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are proud to present. Let us try a ballad of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Let us try to stem the tide to beautify our countryside. We all. Let us try. News of the United States Army Corps of Engineers, the Let Us Try people, President-elect Trump and his transition team, mainly the team, not so much him, is engaged in active discussions with the Army Corps of Engineers and the Interior Department to begin planning that wall along the Mexican border, including how specific environmental laws could get in the way. This is according to failing CNN. The U.S. official with knowledge of a visit late last month to the Interior Department said the transition team was particularly interested in finding out how long it would take to build the wall given legal obstacles. It seems clear they were trying to size up the environmental laws that may be obstacles to building the wall, he said. Another U.S. official told CNN the Trump transition team has reached out to the Corps of Engineers that has previously built 
border security fencing to determine what that fencing cost and how it was constructed. I thought it wasn't going to be a fence. It was going to be a wall. The team also asked Interior several questions, including how much wall would be needed. It's not a fence, it's a wall, said Trump. The uh, official told CNN it appeared transition officials were feeling out what kind of regulatory barriers are in the way so they could possibly get rid of them. There are local, state, and federal laws in the books that would protect endangered species and air and water quality. One environmental law expert says what the Trump transition team could end up using is language in the Real ID Act that Congress passed in 2005. That includes a provision that allows the Secretary of Homeland Security to the power to waive all local, state, and federal laws that the Secretary determines is an obstacle to building walls and roads along U.S. borders, like they knew Trump was coming. The Sierra Club said the law allows DHS to waive more than 30 federal laws in their entirety. You know, like your Environmental Policy Act, Endangered Species Act, Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, Migratory Breed Treating Act, etc. In 2008, Homeland Secu- then Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff invoked that power to waive environmental laws to construct barriers along portions of the southern border. And the Corps of Engineers apparently would be the agency responsible for building the wall, which makes it all work. Now, deadlines, Columbia, South Carolina, South Carolina Electricity and Gas wants federal approval to leave polluted coal tar mm, in the Congaree River under a process that critics say has kept the public in the dark. Isn't that the best place for the public to be, really? That's where we want to be, isn't it? We can watch movies better that way. The power company, at the urging of state regulators, is seeking to cover some of the coal tar with a cap. No, not a backwards-facing cap. Most likely stones and fabric, instead of removing the material from the river, as originally proposed. And the utility has asked regulators to approve a fast-track permit so it can leave the tar in the riverbed near the Gervais Street Bridge. Sexist. In this case, the Army Corps of Engineers did not send out a notice seeking public comments on the request. They were issued more quickly than individual permits because they're designed for projects with minor impacts on wetlands. The Corps isn't generally required to solicit public comments on projects seeking these nationwide permits. The coal tar cleanup plan, however, is more than a minor project, according to critics. There's nothing routine about this. At all, says a Sierra Club member. Concerns about impacts on endangered species in the Congaree River, such as the short-nosed sturgeon, warrant public scrutiny and a detailed study, according to the Congaree River Keeper Organization. Coal tar, in case you don't know, is a mucky substance. <laughs> Your na- the name wouldn't suggest that. It contains an array of toxic pollutants. It drains into the Congaree River decades ago from a site owned by the utility. It coats part of the river bared between two bridges. A kayaker alerted state regulators about it after stepping in the tarry muck at a public landing seven years ago. The Army Corps of Engineers says it will approve the fast track permit because let us try. That's their motto. U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Now news of ADVAC! 
Excuse me? Ah, fuck! Okay, then. It's better. Less than two weeks before President-elect Trump takes office, the watchdog for U.S. reconstruction efforts in Afghanistan has delivered a searing indictment of the lack of progress in the two years since NATO ended its combat mission, according to Stars and Stripes, the newspaper of the military. As much as I wish I could say much has improved in Afghanistan over the last two years, I cannot, said Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction John Sopko. He spelled out a series of problems, any one of which could fatally undermine U.S. efforts to rebuild Afghanistan, such as shortcomings of Afghan security forces, corruption among Afghan officials, the thriving narcotics trade, and U.S. agencies' poor oversight of expenditures. This coincided with the release of a Inspector General report that highlighted the greatest threats to Afghans' successful reconstruction. Since 2002, Congress has signed off on more than $155 billion to rebuild the country. That's the most the United States has paid for any country's reconstruction in history. Quote, despite this own enormous expenditure, the reconstruction effort remains tenuous and incomplete, the report said. Underlying the country's many challenges were two main factors, the questionable capabilities of the country's security forces and, quote, pervasive Corruption, unquote. Government forces said the IG are plagued by poor leadership, which leads some officers to bolster their ranks with ghost soldiers whose salaries they pocket. Others sell equipment and fuel to the Taliban. The Taliban numbers about 25,000 fighters against a reported force of 320,000 in the Afghan army. Transparency International has ranked Afghanistan the third most corrupt nation in the world. The IG laid part of the blame for that with the way the outside nations, such as the United States, has poured money into the country. The U.S. dumped too much money too fast into too small an economy with too little oversight, he said. U.S. officials estimate the Taliban get 60% of their revenues from the drug trade. Harper's Magazine reports that uh, a group called the Peace Council, the High Peace Council, High Peace Council, uh, has been hemorrhaging money in recent years. Members' salaries and stipends for luxury cars, airfare, and security have reportedly run up a bill of as much as $700 million. Last summer, rather than propose a new budget strategy, the council burned through its emergency fund in response to accusations of corruption. Members said it wasn't their fault that peace has eluded them. Their job is to try to facilitate peace talks between the Taliban and the Afghan government. And this week, the U.S. Army revealed it had concluded its investigation of an incident in November in which 33 Afghan civilians had been killed in bombing raids that were directed at the Taliban. The uh, Army investigation said it was... um, not deliberate. They didn't see the civilians because they were hiding in buildings, which the
Taliban were using as the place from which to be shooting out. That's, that's a nutty new technique for insurgents. That's how it looks from here. How does it look from over there? From Afghanistan Public Radio, providing driveway moments to people with no driveways. Direct from the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, whether the New Year's Eve fireworks were provided by the Taliban. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're slick and slack. They're still here, brothers. Welcome to the first 2017 edition of Karzai Talk. Today's show comes to you with the assistance of the Afghan Journalism Foundation. The first casualty of war is truth. We give it a band-aid. Well, my younger brother, another week, another few dozen civilian casualties. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a tragedy for the families of those involved, mm -hmm. but one in which we all suffer. Oh, yes. Fewer people left to buy your Toyotas. <laughs> <laughs> my dear younger brother, mm -hmm. I'm not so fixated on my own personal gain that I can ignore the welfare of my countrymen. Oh, well, that's good to hear. It just so happens that everyone in Afghanistan would be better off in a late model Corolla. <laughs> <laughs> With the optional, how the hell do I drive through this package? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on cars I talk. This is uh, General Nicholson, longtime commander of operation. What the hell do we do now? First time caller. Well, General, as you know, we've, we've had our disagreements with the Americans from time to time. And in the times in between. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to congratulate you. Well, sir, uh, we're not enjoying significant success on the battlefield. Oh, I know. And we uh, do foresee a more significant onslaught from uh, the Taliban in the fighting season just ahead. Mm -hmm, I know. Uh, so, sir, with all due respect, uh, what exactly are you congratulating me for? More truthful name to your operation. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, sir, actually, that was just a joke to fit into your uh, somewhat jocular format. Actually, the operation is officially called Operation Endurance. Ooh, that sounds more like an adult diaper. <laughs> well, no, you have to forgive my brother, General. He's been breathing too many thunder fumes. <laughs> so, what can we do for you? Well, uh, sir, as you know, we investigated a situation last November in which almost three dozen of your fine civilians were killed. Mm -hmm. and we found that our troops acted in accordance with the whatever they're supposed to be in accordance with. Well, sometimes the only way to win over hearts and minds is to blow them up. <laughs> <laughs> Always worked for the Pakistanis. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. I don't want to get involved in politics here, but uh, we did express our regrets in a press release and in a personal statement to your successor, uh, President Khani. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did want to repeat those regrets uh, to a wider audience. Oh, you'd reach a wider audience repeating your regrets to the cooks on your base. <laughs> well, I don't In know. fact, we're the only public radio show that gains listeners during the pledge drive. <laughs> In fairness, they do tune in for the talking tote bag. That's <laughs> right, they sure do. Well, I, I appreciate that. Our, our reaching out in Operation Express Regret uh, includes all modes of uh, your country's communications web. In fact, tomorrow I'll be on Afghanistan. Entertainment tonight. Mm. I'm supposed to be on just before they introduce a, a Pashtun relative of Kim Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> well, General, I uh, guess we accept your expression of regret in the spirit in which it was offered. Which is maximum media impression. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but you mentioned the upcoming fighting season. Yes, sir. Uh, what do you think the big trends will be this year? Uh, well, sir, our intel suggests the uh, Taliban will be going for darker boots. Mm -hmm. 
a more rugged tunic style profile oh. and uh, once again minimalist headgear. Ooh, sounds exciting. We'll definitely have our work cut out for us, sir. Maybe some more bombings of civilians? <laughs> uh, we sincerely hope not, sir. It's bad for our posture in country. Well, thanks for the call, General, and uh, good luck with the posture. You know, they've uh, been predicting rugged tunics for three years now. <laughs> it, it just keeps not happening. I think our Taliban friends have an endless supply of funding for weaponry. Mm-hmm. Not much budget for battlefield finery. <laughs> Hello, you are on Cars I Talk. Hello, this is Ashraf Hani, a long-time successor of yours. Mm. First time caller. Ah, uh, President Hani, uh-huh. you never responded to my offer last year. Ah, Mahmoud, I'm so sorry, but uh, try as I might, I couldn't come up with a reason why I needed a stretchy Yaris. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Current President, it's an honor to have you here instead of behind my back. Uh, Hamid, I think we're facing a situation even more serious than your continuing attempts to weaken my position. <laughs> In a few days, we face the inauguration of a new American president. That's true. Uh, and a man who has shown over the last year or so that he's volatile, mercurial, darkly whimsical. Oh, careful. He might be listening. If so, he'll be doubling our normal audience. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, my dear successor, your question near the start time for an encore presentation of a Hindu Kush companion. Mm. Today, Edoc, the town pharmacist, finds out making your own band-aids is not as easy as it looks. I'm just wondering if your sources in the United States can give you any indication of what his policy towards our country might be. Mm. I would ask you this privately, but I figure you are less likely to lie to me in public. Oh, that's the beauty of our culture. <laughs> <laughs> that and the pomegranate tea. <laughs> Seriously, my dear successor, yes. I know uh, Mr. Trump has spoken against more nation-building activities for the U.S. Yes. I know he has spoken in favor of more robust actions against Islamic State, and I know he wants strict immigration controls on people from countries with a history of terrorism. And so your conclusion? I think you're going to have to stay here. (laughs) (laughs) You might need that stretch, Yaris, after all. (laughs) Thanks for the call. We had help today from the Afghan Women's Rights Foundation. Afghan women, at least we can drive. Legal services for cars I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Newcomb. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. Join us again for another edition of Cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Jenna Bush Hager, daughter of former President George W. Bush, apologized this week for a mistake she made at the Golden Globes that involved her mixing up the names of two movies, both of which feature predominantly black casts. The mistake occurred while she was interviewing singer Pharrell, who was nominated for Best Original Score for the movie Hidden Figures. I accidentally, in the electricity of the red carpet, which I had never done one before, called Hidden Figures, Hidden Fences, she said on Today. She mixed the movie's name with Fences, a film based on August Wilson's play that stars Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. Hidden Figures uh, relates the story of three black women in the 60s who worked at NASA and played a role in astronaut John Glenn's orbit into space. Here's uh, Jenna Bush. I've seen both movies. I thought they were both brilliant. I've interviewed cast from both of the movies. 
she said, her voice trembling. And I offended people. I'm deeply sorry it was a mistake because y'all know I'm not perfect. I am authentic, but a human. What I didn't want to do is make anybody feel lesser than who they are. George W. Bush's daughter, ladies and gentlemen. Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, apologized to Republican Senator Ted Cruz of Texas this week for joking that it was possible to get away with murdering the Texas senator if it happened in the Senate. Graham's remarks represented a truce of of sorts between the two senators. They repeatedly feuded during their 2016 presidential runs in part over what's seen as Cruz's persistent failure to win the respect of other senators. Graham had joked about the murder of his colleague in February when Cruz was a Republican candidate in the primary. If you killed Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate and the trial was in the Senate, nobody would convict you, Graham said at the time. But Graham's tone changed by this week when two appeared together on MSNBC. Love is everywhere, Graham said. I want to apologize to Ted for saying he should be killed on the Senate floor. Cruz replied, at least we're not on the Senate floor now. Tencent Holdings Limited apologized for a sexually suggestive game organized at a division's annual party after video of the onstage display ignited criticism and discussion about the challenges people, uh, women in particular, still face in China's technology community. Attendees at the Instant Messaging Department's annual dinner posted footage of needling female staff seemingly trying to prize open water bottles tucked between men's legs with their mouths. The video footage was posted online and circulated on Twitter. Tencent is known for its WeChat messaging service, an industry-leading games platform. They issued a statement condemning the inappropriateness of the game on Chinese social media, vowing never to repeat such mistakes. Spokeswoman Canny Lo declined to comment further. I said, Canny Lo. The incident again highlighted the matter-of-fact sexism that pervades the workplace in China even among companies considered the most progressive. Alibaba Group was forced to pull a job ad two years ago that sought women with porn star qualities to be office cheerleaders for programmers. But this apology was by Tencent Holdings, which, of course, is um, one-fifth of 50 cent. A New Hampshire state representative faced a strong rebuke from the Speaker of the House after she dropped her loaded handgun while entering a House Education Committee hearing this week. Milford Republican Carolyn Halstead apologized for the incident in which her gun fell to the floor but didn't fire. She says it came loose from a waistband while she removed her backpack. Halstead was entering a crowded public hearing for a bill to increase funding for full-day kindergarten programs. There were some children in the room. The incident appeared to go unnoticed by most of those in attendance. Halstead, she has a concealed carry license, and the gun safety lock was on. Lawmakers and members of the public are allowed to have guns in the State House and legislative offices in New Hampshire. Live free or die, everybody. Deadline Toronto. Amazon has apologized to India's foreign minister for selling doormats depicting the Indian flag on Amazon's Canadian website. The head of the retailer in India sent the apology to external affairs minister Shushma Swaraj, according to a tweet by a ministry spokesperson. The statement, which was posted on Twitter, said Amazon is committed to respecting the laws and customs in India, where insulting the national flag is punishable with fines and imprisonment. How primitive can you get? Thank goodness we don't have that in the United States. 
The vice president and country manager of Amazon India, Amit Agarwal, said the company regrets the sale of the offending items, noting they were offered by a third-party seller in Canada. At no time did we mean or intend to offend Indian sentiments, Agarwal said. Minister Swaraj had lashed out at Amazon on Twitter, threatening to deny Indian visas to any Amazon employees if the company did not apologize and withdraw all all products insulting our national flag immediately. The Canadian third-party seller, which also sells mats with other national flags, including the United States, these are doormats, ladies and gentlemen, removed the Indian-themed product. And I'm old enough to remember when, if you used the American flag in anything but a flag, you were considered a a, a fellow traveler, if not worse. You know, shirts with American flags? Ooh, you could go to jail for that. Dateline Maruguri, Nigeria, the governor of Nigeria's embattled Borno state, has apologized to the U.N., saying his accusations that aid agencies are profiting from funds for people who are fleeing Boko Haram were aimed at local charities. Governor Kashim Shatima also said his comments were misrepresented by journalists. He spoke a day after he declared that aid agencies that weren't helping in the crisis should leave the country. CIA Director Nominee Representative Mike Pompeo apologized to Senator Dianne Feinstein of California in a private meeting this week for critical comments he had made about her in 2014 after she released a controversial Senate Intelligence Committee report that detailed acts of torture by the CIA. Feinstein thanked Pompeo, a Kansas Republican, for his apology at the beginning of her remarks during the public portion of his confirmation hearing. I just want to begin by saying I really appreciate the private meeting we had She said, for me, it was a clarification. I do appreciate your apology. I take it with the sincerity with which you gave it. The source said Pompeo apologized for the personal tone of his comments two years ago. It included these comments. Quote, Senator Feinstein today has put American lives at risk. The intelligence collection programs described in the report have been in the news and hot topics for years. The sad conclusion left open is that her release of the report is the result of a narcissistic self-cleansing that is quintessentially at odds with her duty to the country. It's the last day of Pompeo. Deadline Cleveland, the Cleveland Clinic wellness doctor who posted a column on Cleveland.com bashing vaccines, has apologized for the uproar his comments caused and the hospital system promised appropriate discipline. Dr. Daniel Nidiz medical director and chief operating officer of the Wellness Institute at Cleveland Clinic, said he fully supports vaccination, was trying to open a conversation about their safety, not question their use. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the Eskerdad, on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, on your smartphone through Stitcher.com, and as a free podcast, well, you know, before we get to the podcast, available around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want at harryshare.com and kcsn.org, and available as a free podcast at Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and WWNO.org. And it would be just like knowing where the truth lies and why the truth lies. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much, uh huh. address for this program, a playlist of the music heard here on, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts for President's Day. That works. All available at harryshare.com. A typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks as, pa- as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans and to Thomas Walsh, same place, for help with today's broadcast. And me, I'm on the Twitter at the Harry Sherman. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.